Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Hey, this is Desmond. Welcome to the Neil and Desmond Our Voice Podcast. Uh, guess what, y'all? You see, I'm by myself. Neil doesn't abandon me. Try to get our other guest host, Sheena, to join us. She abandoned me. And so I am solo tonight, but I am cool with that. You know why I'm cool with that? Because I get to have our guests all by myself tonight. And we're going to have some fun. We're going to chop it up. Man, listen, we're going to have a lot of great information that's going to be put out there and a lot of inspiration. You know, like I always tell you all, Our Voice Podcast is a podcast that's designed specifically to elevate the voices of people who are impacted by the criminal justice system. That's right. You know, other folks can have all kinds of degrees and titles, but you know what? If they ain't had experiences that we have, you know, there's something that's missing, and we don't need those folks to speak on our behalf. We appreciate their allyship. We appreciate their support, but at the end of the day, we've got more than enough people in this country, people who've been impacted, who can actually speak, who are actually subject matter experts, right? And so we're elevating those voices, our voices, making sure that our uh, 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 opinions, our analysis, our our strategic thinking is elevated on a national level to let y'all know that we got this. We really do got this. And so that's what our voice podcast is all about. Week after week, we're bringing in amazing guests, and this week is no different. Listen, I'm telling you right now, I already know after the airing of this episode, I already know Neil is going to be mad jealous that he didn't have an opportunity to be in the studio with me as we interview our next guest. And who is she? Man, let me tell you. Uh, and I'm glad that you know, this person is the first guest in the month of April because, uh, you know, April is Second Chance Month, and it was right after Women's History Month. Right. And and I, if y'all check, if y'all follow me on on Instagram or or Twitter or LinkedIn, you would see that she was one of the women during the uh, uh, Women's History Month who I actually uh, um, highlighted just to really talk about you know, amazing women throughout the country that are doing amazing things. And listen, tonight I am so honored to have none other than the great. Deanna Hoskins. That's right, y'all. Deanna Hoskins. Uh, she is the president of Just Leadership USA. Most importantly, she is my friend and colleague. But listen, there's a whole list of things that my production team put together, and I just want to read off some of it, right? I ain't going to mention that she's a Cincinnati, Ohio native. That, that's one reason that Neil is going to miss. Because Neil is a, he's from Ohio, too. You know he's a big Ohio State fan. Uh, and so he's going to miss out, you know, uh, um, talking to a fellow Ohio native. Uh, but she hold all kinds of mad degrees, you know. One of the things I always tell folks, I remember when I was in a meeting with another returning citizen and all of the other, you know, important people walked out of the meeting. And I remember when she looked at me and said, you know what, Desmond, all the degrees that they have we can get, but all the degrees that we got they can't get, right? And so... It is, we are super human when not only do we have our own degrees from going through the trauma that we've gone through uh, because of incarceration and because of our interaction with the criminal justice system, when we go ahead and get their degrees, oh my God, we are like unstoppable. And 
guess what? Deanna Hoskins is no different. Here she is with a master's degree uh, in, in criminal justice from the University of Cincinnati, a bachelor's degree in social work, and she's a licensed clinical addiction counselor. Listen, don't try to be analyzing me on this show, Deanna. I'm telling you that right now. We gonna, we, I, I want to put a, a stop to that before you even start. Uh, she is a Just Leadership USA uh, a graduate. Uh, she graduated in 2016. And so here's a story of somebody that went, came up through the program and now is actually leading uh, the organization at which she came. Of course, nationally recognized leader. And um, my production team put a dynamic public speaker, and I can personally attest to that. You know, she definitely is that. Uh, former senior policy advisor over corrections and reentry with the Department of Justice, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, she's designated as the interim deputy director of the Federal Reentry Interagency. Hold on, let me take a breath. Counsel by Attorney General Loretta Lynch, and she, oh wow, she eventually received a pardon, right, for her offenses from the governor. Uh, uh, Governor Ted Strickland, of course, she's in all many kinds of news articles and publications and, you know, she's graced television screens, you know, all over the country. Uh, the one, the only, the amazing and incomparable Deanna Hoskins. Deanna, come on. What's up? I'm good. How are you? Listen, I'm I good. am so happy that, you know, you were able to join me uh, tonight on, on, on our podcast. You know, anything you ask, reluctantly, I'll act reluctant, but I'm always willing, always willing. Yo, that's what's up. That's what's up. So first of all, listen, um, I want to get over some of the uh, um, the easy stuff first. And then, listen, we're going listen, we gonna to chop it up tonight, right? It's just listen. you and me. I don't have Neil to regulate me. I don't have Sheena to regulate me. So I could do whatever I want tonight. And to, this show is going to be off the chain. And guess what? You know we're going to talk about that slap, right? Let's see. There you go. The slap that was heard around the world. We're going to talk about that. But before we get to that, right, really want to um, just share with our audience, what is what is Just Leadership USA? So thank you, Desmond. Thank you for having me on the show. Just Leadership USA is a national organization that was founded by and operated by formerly incarcerated individuals. It was created based on the fact that all policy decisions were being made and our voices were missing from those tables. Mm. People were making decisions about our lives and what should impact our communities, but were not taking our expertise as vital in those policy decision uh, um, things. So Just Leadership launched under Glenn Martin, which is our founder, around those closest to the problem or closest to the solution, but furthest from resource and power. So thus created a leadership training program, but not to create leaders. Identifying the fact that we were already leaders, we already had the expertise across the country. Mm -hmm. We just needed to come together, utilize in what we call it, we uncaged the leader in everyone because we have been caged. People have told us what we can't do. Uh -huh. It has been very simple. People have poured into us of what we can do. That's what's up. You know, shout out to Glenn Martin for having the foresight of really starting Just Leadership USA. And guess what? Shout out to Deanna for taking it to a whole new level because uh, I've, I've seen the transformation of the organization. Uh, and, and can you tell us how many, approximately how many leaders have been trained through that program? I know you yourself went through the program in 2016. 
you know. So we'd like to definitely hear what was that experience like for you and how many people have you all like sent through the program? So to date, we have over 1,300 leaders in 46 states, including D.C. As you um, stated in my bio, in 2016, I was a cohort fellow. Again, operating as the director of reentry in Hamilton County for our county commissioners, you feel like you're working in silos trying to get your area to address these issues and the barriers. And when once I was invited to Just Leadership, I was able to fly to New York and connect with leaders from Alaska, Seattle, Texas that was doing the same work. And so what we started to realize is we've been operating and fighting as unicorns in our respective areas. But once we're able to tap into a network across the country that is even more powerful, that we are building something. Um, We are building something to change and we have each other to rely on. We have each other to learn from. We're learning from FRRC and Amendment 4, but how we tapped into that because nobody knew about those different things that were going on across the country. And I think uh, think we discovered that, you know, that then – we're no longer unicorns, right? That we're not the only person or one of just a handful of people across the country that have been formally incarcerated or formally convicted and are doing great things in the community or advocating on behalf of you know, our brothers and sisters. You know, I mean, they're folks, man. I, listen, when we when we started this podcast, and that was one of the first things, we brought on some of those same leaders because we needed people across the country to see that, man, yeah, we did some great stuff in Florida, man, but there are great things happening across this country, right? And there's so many people, you know, yeah, Desmond got this and that and all that, but, man, there are people, man, that that Desmond have to stop and sit down and shut his mouth and listen to, you know, um, when it comes to, I mean, listen, I— I, I tell folks all the time, I don't have a monopoly on the suffering and I definitely don't have a monopoly on the solution. And and there are times when you have to sit back and, and allow other folks to really uh, um, just really take the lead on stuff. Like when it comes to like federal stuff, I would shut the heck up and let you <laughs> really talk. And I remember when we were talking to even presidential candidates and or people at the White House and stuff like that, man, it felt so good. Where I didn't have to be the expert in the room, right, when it came to federal policies that I had you either on the Zoom or by my side to really uh, uh, really talk about those issues in a very, very um, uh, 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 concise way and, and compelling way. And so there are people like that across the country, whether it's housing, uh, whether it's employment, you know, whether it's like even um, the electoral piece about running for office, I mean, we had Tara Simmons on here, uh, who's now a sitting uh, um, House of Rep in um, in um, in the state of Washington. We had people like Dara Atkinson, uh, Norris. We, I mean, we had, we had some folks on here, and and you add to that list. You know, seems like our guest list keeps elevating, right? And so, tell me, uh, 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 Deanna, you know. Uh, Let's go back for a second. Let's go back. You know, how are you directly impacted? Thank you. So my direct impact came from in 1998, um, had been dealing with a drug addiction, addicted to crack cocaine for over 15 years, and definitely committed a crime 
that ultimately originally resulted in a sentence of five years community supervision. And what I tell people, my drug addiction was never addressed at that arrest. So I'll share, honestly, now that it's pardoned, that (laughs) I literally came, um, I remember the court date of being sentenced to community supervision. I had not slept in two days and I literally came from the block to the courtroom, right? To get sentenced, to community supervision. And I remember one of the judges, uh, part of the sentencing was five years community supervision, stay drug free, I'm high in court, (laughs) Um, maintain custody of your kids Uh and stay in Um, And I walked out uh, like, okay, I could do that, knowing what I was going. It was supposed to report was supposed to report to probation when I left the courtroom. I went straight back to where I had left to come to court. I never even signed up and went to well, probation. Listen, you got to get you got to get some type of props for even showing up because I don't even think I would have shown. They would have just had to come I find me, but you showed up. I was late. I was late. <laughs> had on a medium shirt. Did somebody else clothes didn't fit? I, I know who I oh, was Jesus. at that time, right? Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, but ultimately, um, probation caught up with me, and I remember uh, couldn't pass a drug test. Mm-hmm. They, and I ran the treatment like I always do. Mm-hmm. Um, gave me an opportunity. I knew it wasn't going to work. Again, failed another drug test. And that's when I ultimately was sentenced to a community-based correctional facility. That, um, I was one of the first 50 women when it opened, but let me show you how this whole cycle come. Yesterday, the Board of County Commissioners in the county where I reside just appointed me to the board of the same correctional facility I served time in. What? Wait, say that wait. Say that one more time. Say that one more so time. The, com- the community-based correctional facility where I served time wow. was one of the first 50 women when it first opened in 1998. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, the board of county commissioners that oversee that correctional facility mm-hmm. just appointed as a governing facilities governing board member of that correctional facility. Wow. You know, when you talk about, I mean, this month being second chance month, right? I mean, that right there, I hope when they do release that story that you send me a link because we're highlighting stories like this throughout the entire month of April. But that shows why second chances are so important. I mean, when people are given the opportunity right, to successfully reintegrate back into their community, man, they can go from being a liability to an asset. That is like, I mean, if you were here in the studio, you would see goosebumps right now on my arm because, you know, we have similar stories. I, too, was a crack addict, you know, and I remember uh, uh, my, my, like, wow, this got to be God working in my life type of moment was when, I was in law school. I was getting ready to graduate law school, and I um, one of my classes was trial advocacy, which, you know, it was a class that taught you how to prepare for trial and then how to conduct a trial, right? And the final mm-hmm. exam was to conduct a trial in an actual courtroom in front of a real judge where the jury is made up of state attorneys or and, and or public defenders. And I remember the day of my final exam when I went to the courthouse, they had a mix-up with the courtrooms, and so they, after they straightened it out, they sent me to this courtroom. And I was, I was involved in the trial, and when I was getting ready to present closing arguments, I, I happened to notice a picture on the wall on the far side of the courtroom. 
And it was a picture of this judge named Manny Crespo. And when I seen this picture, it dawned on me that I was actually in the same courtroom where I was sentenced in 2001 to 15 years. Now, this judge, his name was Let Him Go Crespo, right? This was a supposedly a lenient judge. But I tell folks, that day he didn't let me go. And I remember his words. <laughs> he was like, Desmond, the jury has, the Day County has spoken. The people of Day County have spoken. And as a result, I remand you to the custody of Florida Department of Corrections for 15 years. And I remember when he told me that my, my knees buckled a little bit and I just knew that my life was over. But yet there I was just a few years afterwards in the very same courtroom arguing the case as a final a senior law student getting ready to graduate law school. Right. And That's that was power. wow. It was one of those, you know, it was very emotional for me. I had to get up out of there real quick and broke down crying the whole nine yards. But, you know, I remember when I had realized it, it was like the, the roof caved in on me. And the only thing I heard after a while was a voice piercing through all of the noise in my head that said, defense, are you ready? Defense, are you ready? It was the judge speaking to me. And it finally came through to me, and I was like, yes, Your Honor, I'm ready. And I, listen, I didn't know the first word of my closing argument. I went up there with a blank mind. I, I couldn't remember anything. And I went in front of the, ju the jury, and I stood for a few seconds. Then the opening came back to me. And um, when I hit the opening, everything just rushed back in my memory. And I, I went ahead and nailed and got an A in that class. Uh, but, you know, just knowing that, man, when given a, a second chance, the things that we can do. And, and Deanna, I know that that's not the only – this is not the first time. Right, I mean, like you was you worked with DOJ, didn't you? Department of Justice. What? what yeah. Let's uh, what about? Let's talk about that for a second. What did you do there? Um. So yeah, thank you for that. You know, when when you talk about coming full circle for second chances, and I think a lot of the opportunities for me has been things I hadn't thought about, and actually, when I actually reflect back. I would have shortchanged myself if what I wanted was the blessing God would have given me, right? Mm -hmm. I would have shortchanged myself. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll connect the dots. But I was literally, you know, I, I can trace my career trajectory of how he put all the pieces together to prepare me for the next level mm -hmm. and how the relationship was connected. But I don't know if everyone remembers, in 20, 2015, President Obama had actually banned the box on a federal level mm. and had utilized fair hiring practices throughout. And I remember laying in the bed, and he was on TV and he talked about it. And I would just apply for jobs. Like somebody going to hire me on a federal level, a state level. <laughs> yes. my story. I back, you know, I went back and worked at a department of corrections, maximum security and became unit manager with a felony conviction. Um, but it was just out of just plan, applying for jobs. And I remember lying in the bed when he was on TV announcing that. And I ran to my computer and was like, did you ever hit submit on that application? Did you ever just submit it? And I ended up submitting this application. Um, ultimately, it was for the Department of Justice. 
as the senior policy advisor over corrections and reentry. So I managed all of the second chance portfolio dollars that come out of the federal government into the community. Really? It's the only federal in, Wait, in hold corrections on. and reentry. Let, let's back up for a minute. Are you telling me that any money that the federal government earmarked for reentry, right, had to come through you? Was the second chance dollars for had the, to come for, through me. For the whole country or just for, like, D.C. area or something? The whole country. Wow. $85 million in their portfolio. Um, Wait, and it was they entrusted you with managing $5 million? Ain't that something? <laughs> 85, 85. Oh, 85. Ooh, <laughs> Jesus. All right, now. $85 million. Let's be honest of who I am and where I've been after a theft conviction. I killed myself with $85 million. I tell you, thank God we (laughs) have been delivered. We have been delivered. Thank you. But no, part of that, and what, what I like to share with people to inspire hope as well, is not only did I go in as a senior policy advisor, there are 15 grade levels in the federal government. I walked in with a felony conviction at a grade 14. So I walked into the federal government in a leadership position, managing the portfolio of dollars, managing all the grantees across the country who received that funding. But also um, during that process, our voices were being heard. We had an administration from the president, the attorney general, to the department, the office of justice program, Everybody was in line with humanizing individuals with lived experience, acknowledging that that expertise had even been excluded from the federal conversation. Mm-hmm. So I was appointed by Attorney um, Loretta Lynch at that time mm-hmm. as uh, interim deputy director of the Federal Interagency Council, which made up 20 federal agencies, D- Department of Education, Labor, Workforce, USDA, Medicaid, where we all look within our policies to see what federal policies that didn't require legislation change mm-hmm. that were creating barriers to formerly incarcerated. And an example was most people don't know the USDA, which manages food stamps across the country. There's technically a, a law that says people who have been convicted of drug trafficking can't access food yeah. stamps. Yeah. However, governors can wave out of it, Right. We're even pushing to overturn that now because if you get a governor who's not for that and they pull that, just imagine if governors would have pulled that back at the height of COVID when everything shut down and people oh, needed wow. assistance. How many people in certain states were impacted wow. by that? So you see, you see what I'm nah. saying? Now, this is exactly what I'm talking about here, right? Now, I think that, you know, I knew a little something about, you know, SNAP benefits and, you know, how, you know, because I remember uh, my wife, Sheena, was working for Bread for the World. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's a faith based organization that was doing a lot of work around hunger. And that was one of the issues that she had them championing about how there's folks because they were convicted of certain drug, drug crimes could not uh, receive SNAP benefits. And that was like the first time I learned of it. And I remember, um, you know, just talking about it a lot. But at no point whatsoever did I know that governors could opt out of it. You see? I didn't even yeah. know that. And wave out of it that their states will not follow that. Some states have, uh-huh. um, and more states are, but we're actually, we want the legislation overturned because any moment a new governor can come in yes. and pull that weight. So, so um, how could that legislation be amended? 
So right now there is a SNAP 10 of bill that we are trying to push on a federal level uh-huh. um, to actually overturn that language uh-huh. in the legislation, especially when we have a willing administration. Uh-huh. Um, definitely hoping the Congress stays um, or moves more bipartisan around this issue. Uh-huh. But it's really allowing people to have access to a basic human need of food, right? Uh-huh. Just because you commit a crime, think about it. I'm 23 years clean uh-huh. from my conviction. Should I still be held elig- held accountable yeah. if I ever find myself in need of accessing food benefits because <laughs> I've lost my job or something like that? But I've been a yep. productive member of society longer than I was a menace to society, yep. right? Yep. Like, I got more years on this side of the road than I had on that side, <laughs> but there are still laws in place yeah. that are going to hold me hostage. And, to what I did over and, there. And, and yeah, and, and, and when you when you think about it, not only just SNAP benefits, but being able to get a job, being able to get uh, uh, affordable housing, right? Being able to get occupational licenses, right? That, you know, I, I think that, you know, w- at some point, the, the anger or frustration over someone committing an offense and the, the need to... Uh, 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 um, punish someone at some point it needs to end after that punishment is served right after man listen you did your time you paid your debt to society now you should be given every opportunity to re-enter back into your community right as a full participating citizen right and that's once again second chance month april that's one of the themes that 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 I know that is going to be going around this country. Did Second Chance Month start when you were in the administration? So actually, it started as Second Chance Week in April, and we as employees pushed for the month. Oh, excuse um, me, now. <laughs> you led that charge, um, Deanna. No. Did you lead the charge? Nobody, think about it. Nobody else had a week. Yeah. There again, we get the minimum, right? Where people yeah. were acknowledging you for a week. No, why can't people who have been most harmed have a whole month? Yeah. And so people supported around the country, internal within the Department of Justice, pushed uh-huh. for that. And thus became Second Chance Month, which the first year was Second Chance Week in 2016. Uh-huh. 2017 is the Second Chance Month. Well, listen, let me tell you this uh, DOJ, it was a fellowship, right? That you had. Am I correct? And, and, no, and- Oh. So, uh, actually, I was a career employee Ooh, who went me. through the competitive process. I actually managed what is known as the Second Chance Fellowship. Um, the first one was Daryl, and that fell up under my portfolio because oh, really? it was the Second Chance. And you, you know yes. who the second one is now, right? Well, I know there's five more, but I know one of them came out of your shop. That's shower. right. One of them came right out of FRC, Angel Sanchez. You're right, man. Yeah. <laughs> and that's an Angel's yeah. amazing story. We had him on the podcast uh, a little while ago, and, and then we released it recently, you know, to really just celebrate the fact that one of our own is now serving in a very prestigious position, not only within the current administration, but more importantly, within the Department of Justice, right? And just like how you're now a board member. Huh? Here's what we want to do. You know, DOJ started that, and Daryl Atkinson was the first DOJ Second Chance Fellow. Uh-huh. And then, of course, it didn't happen under the next administration wait, and it's back again. Wait, hold up. Let's back up. One of your people out of your shop 
also got the fellowship, didn't he? No, who? John Bay? Not, huh? The John Bay? Or oh, that another John Bay? No, John. No, John Bay was working with uh, Public Welfare, formerly incarcerated. But yeah, that's why I said they expanded it. Okay. What has okay. happened? The Obama administration people who mm-hmm. was key to that are actually leading the Office of Justice programs. But one of the impacts, because what we saw in the last administration, things that had taken before actually paused when the administration changed. Okay. So how do you demonstrate that even when the administration changed? that some things don't get disrupted. So with the Second Chance Fellow, mm-hmm. we are actually working with the White House, Sherrod Baines, who you introduced me to, working with Sherrod, the Office of Personnel Management and DOJ to create constant fellowships throughout the federal government. So through Medicaid, over at USDA, Department of Labor, mm-hmm. DOE, how do we get this intricately apart of how the, the government operates around interns with formerly incarcerated being in those positions because DOJ is just so one entity out of 150 organizations in the federal government that makes decisions that, that impact that us. That impact us, like HUD, right, when, yeah. when it comes to housing. So, Deanna, I mean, that was a great gem with the, with the SNAP benefits. Do you have another one? Just, just give me one more issue, you know, like, did you know? I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you one because I think me and you both have dealt with this around housing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just even go back to housing period. Uh-huh. Um, here in Ohio, when I was the director of reentry, which is what made me really start focusing on federal myths of what people told us we can't do. Public housing, people would get denied public housing saying you can't live here because you got this felony record or you got these things. But the federal government HUD guidelines only banned two criminal convictions. A person who was actually living in public housing, manufacturing methamphetamine and got caught. And a person who has to register as a lifetime sex offender. All the other bans that are all placed, your local housing authority and your local county officials have instituted those. Those are not. Hold on, hold on. Let's back up. Let's back. Let's let's pump the brakes. Pump the brakes, Deanna. Please pump the brakes. Let me let me make sure I get get this right. Are you saying that the mandates that the federal government has rolled out or laid out basically only bans two types of offenses? One being the production of methamphetamines while living in that housing community, and the other one being if you are a registered sexual offender, right? For life. For life. A lifetime. It's a lifetime ban. And you're saying that it is the authorities in your respective states that add on the other charges that would preclude you from getting housing. So what I tell people, you should actually challenge that yes. because what the federal government has done, and we're actually trying to work with HUD, uh-huh. we have some, we have some recommendations that just leadership put out. Uh-huh. Doesn't take legislative overturn uh-huh. because it's not legislatively mandated. Okay. Okay. HUD, local housing authorities discretion. If they take that one word, out of there, it removes the authority of your local housing authority to add on that laundry list yeah. 
of charges that cannot live in public housing. Wow. And, and you know what I also think probably could be happening here too as well? So if you have somebody right now that's over the housing in, say, for instance, in Florida, right? And they came on board, say, uh, two years ago, right? Or three years ago, right? They When they come on, they already know that it's a certain way that their department is is operating. And they could actually naturally, okay, this is a federal mandate. And so they're telling folks, you know, if folks question, oh, yeah, it's a federal mandate where our hands are tied. When the reality is because they didn't read the fine print, they don't know that it was discretionary and they actually have the authority to remove those additional barriers to housing. Let's talk think about that the abortion. I, I, don't, I think people know. They know what they're walking into. And I'll give you an example. Here in Hamilton County, when I was director of reentry, we actually ended up with a new director of our housing authority who grew up in public housing. Uh-huh. So it was real easy to work with him. Because he knew the rules in the game. And when he came to Cincinnati, you know, I had an argument. I said, okay, people with criminal, let's, what's the slice of this pie? Because we had a very conservative board. Uh And what we realized was they had a policy. You could not apply for public housing until five years of completion of your sentence. Uh So, of course, being who I am said, okay, I served five years in prison. I got five years in community supervision then you're telling me to be homeless another five years, total of 10 years in the community before I could get public housing. They said, that ain't what that means. Yes, it is. When we got finished, you were able to apply for public housing in Cincinnati at three years from conviction. So if you serve a five-year sentence, that means you can apply for housing. So is that, does the federal government have guidelines on that as far as when a person can apply? Yes, there are two charges that are banned federally wow. from receiving okay. public assistance. So all rest, uh-huh. local housing authorities has the discretion to add. And uh-huh. what you will see, you go to your public housing authority and you say, give me your standard operating procedures on mm-hmm. admissions mm-hmm. around criminal convictions, mm-hmm. you're probably going to get five to six pages. And your challenge to the board is, why have you excessively overstepped the federal guidelines to add all of this locally and how you're impoverishing and keeping people in a homeless state? Wow. Um, <laughs> have criminal so, Listen, y'all see why I'm like so excited to have Deanna on? I mean, she just gave us some, some ammunition. Those of y'all watching, man, y'all hear this? And so, man, we, I mean, we've got to go ahead and tighten it up a little bit. And really, I would like, like to share too, huh? um, if to, I would like to share, if people go to Just Leadership's website, there's a topic called Mythbusters. They could click there and get all the federal Mythbusters that society has told us mm-hmm. we can't do uh-huh. that actually are not true. Like, listen, somebody just told me the other day, yeah, I know you upset you can't you can't get a passport. I'm like, where you get that from? Uh, I can get a passport. Yeah, that's right. I have one. So let me, I, I was going to ask you this actually later on in the show, but go ahead. You mentioned it. Where can people go to find Mythbusters? So definitely go to JLUSA.org on our website. On the menu, you'll see a topic that says Mythbusters. 
and we have all the federal mythbusters that we have gotten permission from Department of Justice to update and maintain. You will get the mythbuster on housing, what I just uh-huh. talked about. You get the mythbuster on access to Pell grants with mm-hmm. criminal conviction. Yep. Um, food stamp, the federal employment. You'll even get a mythbuster that most people don't know around child support. There is a federal law. Look at you getting jazzy with it now. <laughs> no, I yeah, love you, this throw one. your hand like, yeah, you know, I got this poppy right. collar. That's right. Poppy collar. I I get empowered when we get to challenge systems yeah. and, when? and we have ambition yes. from the federal government, right? Yes. So there's a federal law around child support that anyone who is sentenced to the Department of Corrections, their child support can be dropped to zero while they serve their time. Uh-huh. Again, your local wait, job and family Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Listen, you just can't just keep dropping these things on us like this, Deanna, for real. You know, I already know right now my production team looking at me kind of funny because now they know that when we, first of all, listen, y'all know that our voice podcast is is on all the platforms, social media platforms, whether it be Fireside Chat, whether it be uh, Spotify, whether it be uh, uh, um, the podcast, the Apple Tunes, and, and even on YouTube, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can definitely see we broadcast of this. And I'm pretty sure our production team, because they're looking at me, right? We're probably going to put that information as a little ticker underneath uh, where people can go to your website and get some of this information. But, you know, I'm like, I remember hearing stories, and, and it haven't been maybe about two, two or three months, where in some states people had their child support accumulate while they were incarcerated and check this out now when they were released they can't even get mm-hmm. their voting rights back in some cases their driver's license until they pay that entire debt but you can't get a driver's license to get a good paying job to go work to pay those debts right and then this child support is being included in legal financial obligations that people have to pay in order for them to be able to vote right and I mean common sense to tell you person have a three five year sentence man the amount of money that they're going to be owing walking out of prison without a job without a home without a driver's license it's a setup for failure but that's part of the system the system is set up for failure oh, no. it is set no, up it to- wasn't. no it wasn't yes. it's a justice it's a system it's, if they it's call it <laughs> the rehabilitation <laughs> Oh. It is a department of injustice and corruption, and you will be sanctioned. And what if you try wow. to be successful? Wow. We're gonna tell you because wow. we've been used to we've been used to people telling us what we can't do. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think that was the awakening for me as director of reentry when I realized there was a federal law on the books all these years, and child support in Ohio, your child support will accumulate, and when you finish your sentence. Uh-huh. The local sheriff will be at the Department of Corrections to arrest you uh-huh. on child support and bring you back to the local jail. Oh, Jesus. Listen, listen. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah there, I, I already you know. know we got to have a whole new episode just for you, for real. So really, I mean, this is some real. Listen, you are treating our viewers and our listeners to some really valuable gems. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I already know some of our members going to be tearing up our hotline, right? Carlos said, hey, you heard what Deanna said. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing that. Girl, oh, hey, I, woman, you just gave this. us a whole bunch of work. <laughs> Thank you so when much, you Deanna. When you can drop your child support to zero while you serve a 10-year sentence. Wow. And so... And the problem is, in most localities, child support and the court systems don't communicate. Yeah. So yeah. it takes like, a director of reentry to become the liaison. <laughs> and simply what my office did, I established my office. I had one person who went to the local jail every day uh-huh. after court and had a list of everyone who was sentenced to prison that day. Uh-huh. And he walked to the jailhouse and had them sign waivers. Uh-huh. And we delivered it to the Office of Child Support wow. so their child support be dropped. Let me tell you something, Deanna. When you do something, you just go big, right? <laughs> you just want to go big. You say go big or stay at home, right? You know, you talk direct to this, direct to that, direct to this, direct to that. Hold up. I heard that last year you trying to create that you were advocating to create a czar for reentry. <laughs> Why not? Tell. They got to everything else. But <laughs> oh, listen, you ain't trying. You ain't playing with this, huh? So wait. So <laughs> let, 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 hold on. Explain. Explain <laughs> to our viewers what exactly is this czar that you're trying to create? <laughs> so in every White House, there are different czars. We have a drug czar. Oh yeah, everybody knows that. One. What, what, right. do, what do they do? So I actually pushed the administration and still pushing them. We need a reentry czar who is formerly incarcerated, who understands federal policy, who has authority uh-huh. to work and navigate and advise the president and Ambassador Rice, Department of um, Domestic Policy Council, on efforts that are either legislatively bound or administratively bound. There are a lot of barriers that don't take going through Congress. We can work with the president's cabinet to change the language, such so, as HUD, to remove the what, what? So what, is, what has been the response of the administration? So right now, we have, we've been talking, and they've been using formerly incarcerated, yourself included, on these conference calls. And we keep saying, you know, we, we want to advise you on things, but how do we move? What, what I do know. What has been their I'm response, waiting, Deanna? I want to, I want to not, answer that. No, I'm serious. Any their response has not been what I thought it would be. I'm gonna be honest. They are focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I also and I question and I asked. Um, I push back. If this is truly an issue of this administration uh-huh. that this president is on, uh-huh. this should be top priority right. as so well. Let, let, let me ask you a question. Do you think? That if this administration was to create the czar of reentry, would that kind of like make up for, you know, his involvement like in the 94 crime bill? I don't, but I think that's where we could sit down and show it can't we can't make up for the damage but, that's done. The damage is done. How do we move forward so and how do we make sure? That, would that be a good faith effort then? Would you would you consider that a good faith effort that you know what? That you creating the office of reentry or the czar of reentry would be a good faith effort to demonstrate the errors of 94, right? And your willingness to try to right those wrongs. 
don't think so. And I'm going to tell you why. It has to come be. Come on. It has to be the, no, think about it. It has to be the position with the ability to overturn and willingness to overturn some stuff. Okay. Right? So, so so if you get those. So, and be like, well, I gave y'all the re-entries are, but the harm is still happening. But, no, all right. we need to overturn. So if you give us a re-entry czar with the authority and the power and the support of the office to reverse a lot of these harmful policies, now would you say that that's a good faith effort? I would say that's a good okay. faith effort. Well, thank you so much. It Let's- has to be something. You can't just say give a position uh-huh. because we're seeing that with formerly incarcerated. People yeah. are putting us on board. It doesn't mean we have power. Yeah, yeah. What is the power or what is the ability of mm-hmm. that person to change? Because here's what's happening, Desmond. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Policies around criminal justice really don't do nothing for black and brown people, right? Okay. And I'm just going to say this on your podcast, and you know <laughs> I was. All right. First Step Act was great. Uh-huh. It did some retroactivity. Mm-hmm. But what people overlooked, we paid attention to the 3,500 people. We used a lot of political ambition to release 3,500 people. Mm-hmm. The correction, good time credit, it was just a correction to something that was broken. Did it take legislation to fix? No, it should have took working with the administration, right? Uh-huh. The no shackling of women, it's, it was already a directive. It was holding them accountable. So you didn't create anything new. Mm-hmm. You just brought to the attention of what was broken, which we could have. But what? And got 3,500 people home. And he got 3,500. But he okay. got more out once the good time credit link was fixed, right? Okay. And then the cares that came. But here's the harm that ain't nobody talking about and everybody went quiet is when Just Leadership came out against First Step Back, we were not against the whole bill. We were against the part mm-hmm. that actually went best practices around second chance funding. It Research shows, having been in that position, research says your investment and your money should be spent on people who are at highest risk of recidivating when they are released. First Step Act gave credit to low-risk and minimum-risk people to have access to uh-huh. programs that gave them additional good time days off. Okay, what, Here's the catch. Uh-huh. Here's the catch. Black and brown people will never be low risk because our communities are over-policed. Mm-hmm. Our schools have more police than school counselors. So uh-huh. our here's the example. Your son steals your car as a black kid. Your colleague's son steals his car. Your kid get picked up. Your car get impounded. He goes to 2020. Your colleague's kid get picked up. They park your car. They take him to the police station and let his parents come get him. They both get to prison. Mm-hmm. They both have the same offense. But because your son went to 2020, he now has points on that risk assessment tool uh-huh. that starts to calculate him as uh-huh. high risk. What? So it's how our communities uh-huh. are over police. When you look at that, so here's the catch. COVID hit. Nobody knew COVID was hitting after first step back. The risk assessment tool was utilized to determine who go home and only low-risk people went home. Uh-huh. Guess who sat in prison and died from COVID to 2,800 people? Black and brown people. You saw all of the administration cronies who had just got sentenced uh-huh. had never had encounters with law enforcement. All of them went home for um, COVID. The president had to create the CARES Act to release black and brown people, but we even had a catch. 
that now Biden and Harris is dealing with that says after the pandemic is over, you gotta go y'all back. gotta go back. So yeah, we had we had we had some folks on when we uh first started our podcast. We had a uh, young lady on that was one of those people that was out doing well the whole nine yards and and the administration was trying to put her back in. And we but you know, that's the president's but, memo and the yeah. Department of Justice memo stated that. Yeah. But, but if we had not used that risk assessment implemented in First yeah. Step Act, but that memo hold on. But that memo was originally drafted by President Trump. Am I correct? All right. And the problem that we was having was that Biden would not revise that memo or or put out his own memo. Right. So you have to look at. So here's the thing. You have to look at how the president wrote the memo. Uh So basically, an executive. If it's if it doesn't expire, you have to write a new one to counter that one out. Uh-huh. It happened when Trump came in after Obama. Uh-huh. Obama established the Federal Interagency Reentry Council. Trump wanted more law enforcement. Trump wrote a law enforcement memo because they asked me to help him and I didn't. Wrote a law enforcement memo, and in that memo, he said this cancels Obama's memo. So this administration, but here's the problem. People were released under CARES with no vetting. So Biden and Harris don't even know who's out here. How close are they finished to their their sentence? All of those things which Uh can actually backfire on you. So they had to set up an infrastructure Uh for the people who was sent out on CARES. How do you evaluate (laughs) them, their institutional record, Uh to determine who gets to stay out? Uh All right. So (laughs) that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Let's go back for a second because I don't think that all of our viewers uh, even know what the First Step Act is, right? Could Uh you give me just a brief summary? I mean, just educate our viewers. You know, we did it. We just had a long conversation about it. All right. So what was it? So First Step Act was legislation that was put through Congress in 2018. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to share with it was not created by the Trump administration, Van Jones or Kim Kardashian. It was actually a revised version of what Obama was trying to push that Congress would not let be pushed. It was actually watered down and turned into First Step Act. And it had very components of it. Now, and part of the component. Let me ask you something. Did it mainly address um, people who were incarcerated in federal prisons as opposed to people who were incarcerated in state prisons? It only impacted people in federal prisons. All right. Now, so, let me ask you uh, something. If it, if, it, if, it, if all of the prisons, state and federal, was a big pie, right, what piece of the pie would federal prisons occupy? Once a sliver. It's the size of California. Right. So you're saying... The size of California. So if you look at prisons as the entire United States, the federal prison piece would be the state of California, and then the state uh, prisons and, and, and local jails would be the rest of the country. Yes. Wow, that's so it was a very small... So think about it. Mm-hmm. So here's the idea. Federal system houses about 160,000 people. 160,000. Incarcerated. Okay. California houses about what? 150? In the California state. alone is 150. as a state. So, 
or just take the Midwest, uh-huh. Ohio, Illinois, and Indiana. Uh-huh. Collectively, those three states might house 160,000 together. All right. So that's all the that the fans are. All right. So let me ask you a question. Is what is there uh what is it that could be done on the federal level that would directly impact uh state prison populations? So go back to the 94 crime bill. Remember that bill was written and it incentivized states to build prisons and fill them. Okay. So technically, because feds don't oversee and run states, we are asking the feds incentivize states to decarcerate and close prisons because our prison population went up because you gave federal funding to build new prisons. Okay, but there, other than that, there is no authority. Now, let me ask you a question: Is there any kind of bipartisan support for something like that? I, I, I think at this time there isn't. Um, let's be honest. First Step Act went through bipartisan. People are raving it, but you wrote a bill to protect the administration. <laughs> they was writing a bill that protect them. That if they were incarcerated. They will be low risk. They can get out. They can get double time. Let's uh-huh. be honest who that bill, uh-huh. that bill was not written. And, and I'm going to share but, this, Desmond, because but, I, I got to share this. All right, go People ahead. People missed ahead. the boat. There was sentencing reform in that bill. Uh-huh. But even from the attorney generals that I work with across the country, uh-huh. they pushed back on that bill because it didn't do anything for black and brown people. There was a clause that said if you were convicted of drug trafficking, uh-huh. And you did not have a gun. Uh-huh. You can your sentence can be retroactive and all okay. of that when you got caught with trafficking. Okay. Let's be honest. In black communities, guns and drugs go together like peanut butter and jelly. Okay. <laughs> Let's just be honest. You oh. don't sell drugs and drugs <laughs> without a gun. Yes. So when you caught me, uh-huh. I had drugs, I had a gun. Yep. It just made it violent. I oh. didn't have to pull it on the body. The- but actually it disqualified me. From being released early, all right. After Listen, serving twenty. Yeah, I got, I got, I, I got to shift. I got to pivot because I refuse to let this podcast end without me asking you, how did you feel about the slap? <laughs> so here's my take on it, and there's been some disruption in my household about the slap. Right. All right. Go ahead. Let me get your take. You correct the behavior wherever it happens. Okay. So what does that mean? But, I mean, you address it, right? Do I think it had to be a slap? No. Um, I think that was the breaking point that we all come to. Um, It could have been handled different. I feel bad for Chris Rock, but what I'll say, the man in all of this was Chris Rock. Mm -hmm. He -hmm. stood there. He took it. He did not even want to press charges. Uh Uh-huh. You know, that was press charges, lawsuit, everything. But he stood and he didn't leave that stage. Yeah. He continued on with the role he was given. So I see the man. Do I think some things need to be addressed through will? I I sure do. But I think everyone has been at that breaking point where something broke and they stepped out of character. Was that the stage? Well, let me tell you. I'm going to tell you like this, right? But I believe you protect your wife. You could have handled it yeah, yeah. So that that's a whole yeah, that's a whole bag right there in itself, right? Because people are talking about, hey, he was laughing at it, you know, to begin with. And when he seen that Jada wasn't laughing, 
they was like, uh oh, I'm in I, trouble. I, I need I, to do I, something to save my behind. Look at Jada Fett. Yeah. That was hurt. Yeah. That was hurt. And in her face. And he had to react to that, right? Um, but here's the thing, right? I think and I'm trying to think, right? When have I seen like a, a crime being committed by a black man and he wasn't putting cuffs, right? That I, I can't I can't remember that. This is like the first time that I mean, and this was like it wasn't even no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was a crime that was being committed, and he didn't get arrested, right? And having and not to, only that, he didn't get put out of the Oscars. He refused yeah. to leave, and they didn't put him out. Yep. And and the question one some of the questions that arise out of that right is the fact that is it wrong for anyone to feel that he should have gotten arrested knowing what we know about the criminal justice system right and what we know about um uh man what they call it uh, justice um oh Jesus my mind is 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 a blank alternative forms of justice where. Uh, Alternatives to incarceration, ATI. Well, not even that. Uh, Where there's uh, a healing, rather, it's more focused on healing rather than on punishment, right? And so, really trying to figure out, you know, is it wrong for people to to ask that question? And if they do, I mean, is it wrong for people to want to see, no, Will Smith get arrested and feel that he should have got arrested because any other black person would have gotten arrested? Um, it's, you know, it's, 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 um, to me, I think it really raises some questions, uh, you know, that, you know, deeper questions about the criminal justice system and, and how it impacts African-American men, right? And just the privileges that come with, 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 uh, uh, having money or having fame, you know, I think that that's real important, you know, and I think what I'm talking about is restorative justice. I think that's it, you know. Right. Uh, um, is it, so is it wrong to to want to say, hey, nah, he should be locked up. He committed a crime. And then the other piece is, man, if that was me, I would have been locked up, right? I don't, We got people that's been locked up and been incarcerated for far less, right, with even uh, a greater um, doubt as to a person's guilt. I got sentenced to 15 years for something I didn't do. That it was great doubt I didn't do. And here he has somebody where there is no doubt. It's broadcasted live, right? There is no, like, defense to none of that. And he got to stay in the building, right? He actually got to stay in the building. And when we had black people getting kicked out of buildings just for being black, right? He got to stay in the building, right, and receive his Oscars, and go home. And actually, he went to a party. And it was all good, right? And so, you know, I think there's a lot of questions there. I, I don't think there's any, like, jealousy as, you know, coming from people who had to suffer through the criminal justice system to see someone just be able to commit a crime with impunity, right? But it forces us to think about what, or, you know, what do we want our criminal justice system to look like? So I think there, I agree. I don't think he should have been physically arrested. I do think he should have been removed and held accountable. And there's some kind of process. Yeah. Incarceration is not always the solution, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think what we saw on a bigger picture is privilege and money, what it buys you. Mm-hmm. Because see, they didn't take action right there because they had an image to uphold. Uh-huh. They, they could escalate it. 
But look at what they're pulling from him now on the back end. So they're still showing him, you're a black man, and we still control. Netflix canceled your movies. Mm-hmm. They're even considering taking back your Oscars. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? So they're, they're still showing you who's in charge, but at that moment, they maintain their image. Okay, okay. Although Chris don't want to press charges, but there is a level of accountability. Should yeah. it be stripping him of all the work he's done in the past? Because he didn't slap him before he made um, King Richard. Yeah. He, he slapped him afterwards, right? <laughs> but where's the accountability? Hey. Where's the accountability to the people? Because here's the thing, Desmond. Uh-huh. I've been arrested for just threatening to hit somebody, not physically hitting him. Yeah, oh, Jesus. I've had charges now uh-huh. just because I made a threat. Well, listen, um, I think, you know, April is second chance month. Right, and I think that you know this is a perfect opportunity to talk about second chances for Will Smith. It's actually a pers- a, a perfect opportunity for Will Smith and many others like him to be an ambassador for Second Chances Month. Right now, realizing that he yeah, has gotten a second right? chance because he could have been arrested. Right, he yeah. and 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 if I'm not mistaken, where where was the um, Oscars held in in California? I think they were in California. All right. If he would have got convicted, he would have lost his right to vote and would not have been able to get it back until he was free from incarceration and off of probation. Matter of fact, he didn't even have to be off of probation because our brothers and sisters led a major effort in, uh, what, 2020 to pass Prop 17 that actually now expanded voting rights to people even though they're on probation or parole, which is amazing. But he would have lost his right to vote. And so, you know, it's... I think the other thing that it shows to me is, and so many people are talking about how good Will Smith is. He's a nice guy and all that. And I'm I'm not challenging any of that. What I am wanting to raise up is that even the best of us, right, in moments, like split seconds, can do things that are crimes that causes us to be harmed for the rest of our lives. Now, would Will Smith, would he deserve to, if he lived in Florida, to lose the right to vote for the rest of his life? All right. And then while he was locked up, he still got to pay child support for his kids. And there was going to be, and you know, child support for a movie star is huge. Right. And so he that would have been accumulating and everything. And so I think this gives us an opportunity to really talk about that we are not the people who we were in the worst moment or the weakest moments of our lives. When when you and I were addicted to drugs, we're at a very weak point in our lives. Right. And that, that, that really played a role in, 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 in us, you know, committing whatever offenses we committed. Right. But that, those weak moments don't speak to who we are. Right. It don't. And they don't define us for the rest of our lives. We made a mistake. And so we have to figure out how do we stop this thing at the end of completing people's sentences, serving their time, making some kind of recompense or whatever, and how do we allow people to move on with their lives, understanding that we are better than our weakest moments, right? Because you definitely are. Definitely can become uh, ambassador of second chances and even go through a restorative justice process because there's some 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 harm that was done to Chris Rock, but yeah. there was also some harm you did to your family. Yeah. So how do you restore that? How do you how do you heal that situation that took place uh-huh. without? But like you said, well, we all listen, make 
I, so here's my recommendation, right? Because we got we got experts in the field around restorative justice, right? So we can definitely uh, 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 send people that way, right? But then I think the other piece, right, that, all right, so we just go ahead and get the administration to go ahead and say, okay, let Deanna be the uh, uh, reentry czar and have Will Smith be the reentry czar ambassador or celebrity ambassador because they just formed some um, uh, a committee, a HBCU committee, to where it's a mixture of professionals and celebrities. Well, there you go. Yeah. Will Smith and Deanna, right? Deanna and Will, all right? No, yeah, Deanna and Will. Um, the reentry, office of reentry. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's make yeah. that happen. Listen, Deanna, listen, time is up. You know, um, man, I don't know where the time went. Uh, but mm-hmm. I had a great time with you. Uh, I know our viewers really enjoyed you because you gave us so much information. Uh, folks, go to www.justjlusa, right? Jlusa.com. Org. 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 www.jlusa.org. And find out about some more myths, uh, uh, and let's bust these things up and, and, and see uh, 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 this information that can liberate us or empower us to be advocates around issues that impact us, whether it's housing, employment, uh, education, voting. You know, listen, y'all. You know, we bought it, bought it, and we about we know that if we can advocate for the least among us, if we can advocate for people who've been impacted by the criminal justice system and empower them, everybody benefits. Nobody loses when we are successful. Understand, I'm going to say it again. Quote me on this. No one loses when we are successful in reentry. But everybody stands to lose when barriers are erected. No one wins when barriers are erected, but everybody wins when we are successful in helping people reintegrate back into their community. Deanna Hoskins, Just Leadership USA, the head sister in charge, Madam President, and all the other accolades. Thank you so much for spending some Thank time you. with your brother. Uh, I had yes, fun. I hope you did too. I did. Pastor said you even started popping your collar on me. But listen, I really appreciate you. And we gonna we hey, we gonna take this out, but you know what? Bam, I'm the music. Yeah. You know that we are the voices.